Don't call it a comeback. I'll have hair for years. Wake up in the morning feeling like P. Diddy. Hey, what up, girl? Grab my glasses. I'm out the door. I'm gonna hit this city. Let's Before go. I leave, brush my teeth with a bottle of Jack. Cause when I leave for the night, I ain't coming back. I'm talking. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. Do you like I, a hiccup I, or a burp and you try to swallow it? That's what we were doing there. This is the press box. <laughs> some guy some guy heard that yesterday. It took him two two minutes to tweet. He thought it was a soda can. I said, come on, it's eight in the morning. With Grady and Bischoff. Jared, you say that like the quality of these shows have been good since we've been doing it for home yeah, anyway. Jared. Come on. On ESPN Las Vegas. Family's back together. We're very excited. ESPN 1100, 100.9 FM. It's Ed Tyler and Jared. Big game tonight. What do you think, Jared? The first bite. My headphones are literally screwed up, and so I'm having to, like, pin them down. Can the Golden Knights win two home games in a row? Can, yes, will, no. (laughs) I'm going to say split, because why not go back to Denver? (laughs) Because we're very excited about that. You finally found the Jimmy Johns. (laughs) That is true. I did did find the Jimmy Johns, so maybe I do want to go back. I uh, it's it's Mark Stone and Pete DeBoer who, after losing Game Two, both gave sort of the same type of response in terms of it's not a series until a home team loses. So they're viewing it as the Avalanche held serve at home, and now if they come back and hold serve in Vegas, then it's a series and everything. Well, technically, it's not a series still yet because you got to lose a home game first. But this is this is where getting blown out in Game One sort of comes back to bite you if you're the Golden Knights because they have almost no margin for error now. Have a little bit. They can still lose one more game, but they have almost no margin for error. And if at any point during the regular season, you had said, all right, Vegas and Colorado are going to play each other two games in Vegas. And that split, right? Each team won a game. You wouldn't think anything of it. You would, it's the two best teams. Kind of what they did all year. They just right. split eight games. You wouldn't think anything of no. it. No. But now, if that happens, it's over. The season's it's essentially over. over. Not beating them three straight. Yeah. Twice in Colorado. So no. that's sort of where getting blown out in game one hurts you is that game two, Golden Knights play relatively well. It's a close game and you lose. That's going to happen in this series. You're going to play fairly well. You're going to have a close game and you're going to lose because both teams are good. So getting blown out in game one basically giving yourself no chance to win one of the two games in Colorado means you have next to no margin for error in this series now in these next two home games. Because here's yeah. the thing, if they, if they win the next two games, they have a legitimate shot in this series. If they're able to win the next two and it's 2-2 and all of a sudden it's a three-game series, and yeah, you're going to have to win at least one in Colorado, but this is they've got a legitimate chance to win it. Right now, the Athletics' probabilities, the Golden Knights have a 10% chance to win this series which is extremely low. But if you get the next two, then all of a sudden that's a lot closer to like 45% probably at that point. So can they win two in a row at home against Colorado? Probably, but they basically have to like that's they're They're in a situation where they can't be down three to one going back to Colorado for game five. Yeah. I, the other thing that I wanted to talk about is after the game, we're hearing a lot now and, before the before the series, it was, you know, no excuses, no excuses. They had rest, and we came off a seven-game series. And now after two games, I'm hearing a lot, well, we came off a seven-game series, and they had rest. 
He said that again the other night, and I'm like, yeah, you, you got to stop with that. Everyone knows that, and it was tough. It's tough, you know. But you can go back to don't have a seven game series, close it out sooner. You know, <laughs> you know, get, get rid of Minnesota quicker. So you know, Colorado took care of their business against St. Louis. You didn't against Minnesota to the point where you needed seven games. That's the reality of it. You have to move on from that. And kind of heard that after the game the other night, and I heard it before game two. It's like, yeah, you got to move on from that. That that is what it is. But we talked before the show, uh, and I was talking to uh, Ben Goats yesterday. He made a great point. He's like, they played really well the other night, and they still lost. So you know that Colorado is going to adjust. You know whether it was yesterday during their practice. If they, I don't know if they skated yesterday. I know they're skating this morning. So as Ben said, even if Colorado gets 10% better from the other night, and it'd be really hard to me for the Golden Knights. They might be enthused by the crowd and all that. But let's say they just get 10% worse because I thought they played really well the other night, which is usually what happens in a series game to game. Like you lose 10%, you gain 10%, you adjust all that. That happens in any series. If you didn't win the other night, I don't know if you can beat them too straight. I, yeah. and, and again, you could still play well. 18,000 people will be nuts tonight. It'll be going crazy. I think tonight of the twos probably – I guess their best chance only because they'll come back to that kind of crowd and atmosphere. I just, I don't know. I, I watched the other night and, you know, they hit four posts and they're the better team and you still lose that game. And it's tough, man. I mean, yeah, of course they could, can win two straight here. They've been great at home throughout their tenure for four years. And it's just, I don't know. It's, I think you said it before the series. Like, as you said, I think Colorado's like five to five to 10% better at everything like the Golden Knights are good and every time you say well the Golden Knights are good there you're like yeah but Colorado's kind of five percent better there and it's proving that and the other thing I'll say and I thought Flurry was you know Flurry was okay the other night I thought the first goal was really bad on him uh I don't you know uh, who was it Saab whoever flubbed it and then he kind of obviously got caught and taken off his course there but this isn't being talked about enough for a series that everyone said it's about the goaltending Colorado's winning that battle and I don't think it's close yeah, I think Grubauer is winning. If there's a battle being won right now, they're winning in goal. Was significantly better than Robin Leonard, obviously. Yeah. And then was, I think was, was better than Flurry. Too. Like yeah. you, you're looking at, like, Grubauer is a finalist for the Vezina. Most yeah. people look at it and say he doesn't really belong. In no, they the thought Hellebrook was. Because yeah. he's playing behind a great team right. that boosts his stats there. But. Even even if you make that argument, Grubauer's still been very good this year. Grubauer still had a very been good really good year. in those two games, and yeah, and you're seeing it now. So it's the goaltending, like that, and that is a big part of it. The the Golden Knights are gonna like Mark Andre Fleury is probably if they're gonna win the series, Mark Andre Fleury has oh. to win at least one game, at least like kind of by himself, like he's got to score obviously. Yeah. But like Fleury's gonna have to have like a shutout where it's like, oh wow, he made four or five saves where he took away sure right. goals, and like to, for them to win the series, that's gonna have to happen because. They play, in best case scenario for the Golden Knights, there are five more games in this series. If they do play five more games, the Avalanche, at least twice, probably three, maybe four times, are going to play really well in those five games. Like, they're going to play really well in some of these games. So you're going to have to have Flurry steal a game, because if not, you're going to see what happened in game one, where Colorado scores five, six, seven goals, and even if Vegas does well offensively, which that's another big problem, it's it, we're in the playoffs again, and we're looking at a team that can't score anymore. Avalanche, I think you tweeted tonight. They've never lost four or five this year. Yeah, they never lost four out of five at any point. I mean, it season. can happen. I'm just saying. Yeah. It's they, you look at that team, and it's really hard to get in your mind that you're going to beat that team four out of five times. I, it's just not, and it's, you know, again, Golden Knights are a good team. It's just that team, I and mean, that team should win the cup. Really, um, you know, Boston and Tampa are good. I, I I understand on the other end, but 
that team is really, really good. And if Grubauer continues to play like this, the, the thought that they'd beat that guy four to five times. Now, again, like you said, it could change, and he could give up five tonight, and all of a sudden the Golden Knights get all this confidence. But, man, he's playing really well right now. I mean, he was good the other night, uh, you know, on breakaways. And, you know, look, they, they got fortunate. It was a four post. Riley Smith, I think, hit three. So, And that must kill you skating off like that. Like, you know you outplayed him. You know you did everything you could to win that game and probably should have and didn't. That's a hard way to get on that plane going back uh, when you're down 2-0. And I know I know, I heard Stone and everyone saying, look, I guess it's right until you lose at home. I understand that. But you hear that all the time, and it's just that 2-0 is a little differently, different from because of how well they played in the second round game and still didn't win. When are we going to get the Golden Knights' best players actually scoring goals? Well, when again, Mark Stone can assist. Mark Stone Everybody score a goal. Yeah, Mark Stone doesn't have a point in the last four playoff games. Mm. Um, he's got one goal, and that was in the first period five games ago. So you're looking at Mark Stone not producing very much. Max Pacioretty, we don't actually know how healthy he is. He did score a goal in game Power seven play. against Minnesota, but he hasn't scored anything in this series. And then the big one over the course of the entire playoffs, Ryan Reeves. you have zero goals from Shea Theodore and yeah. Alex Petrangelo. Zero from the Golden Knights when this season started by acquiring Alex Petrangelo thought they had two of the top 15 defensemen in the NHL. They thought they had two terrific players on the blue line, two guys that could drive offense for this team. And now in the playoffs, neither one has scored a goal and they have played nine playoff games, right? And just remember last year, Shea Theodore led this team in points in the playoffs. We're talking about Shea Theodore being the only one that could score when Thatcher Dimko was going nuts, right? And now you're getting nothing from Shea Theodore and Alex Petrangelo. The best players on this team have to produce goals. Like, Mark Stone has had some good analytics throughout the playoffs, and he's had some decent analytics in this series, but they have to score. Mm -hmm. Like, we're talking about guys like Kale McCarr and Nathan McKinnon and Gabriel Landeskog because they've produced goals, because they have scored. Yeah. Mark Stone, Max Pacioretty, Shea Theodore, Alex Petrangelo, these guys have to score. Like, where are they? Like, that's the biggest. Like, we talk about, you know, the Avalanche are 10% better at seemingly everything than the Golden Knights. And that includes the star players. Like, McKinnon is yes. better than Mark Stone. Yes. That first line for Colorado is better, is the, better uh, the Knights than Vegas. Sure. But it looks like it's 50, 60, 70% better, not 10% better. Like, they actually are producing goals, whereas... You know, Mark Stone's still making some good plays. The analytics still suggest Mark Stone's a good player and that the Golden Knights are producing shots and chances when he's out there, but they've got to score. Like, that's the biggest thing here is they've got to actually score goals, and we're, we're, otherwise you're looking at another playoff elimination where you look around and say, what what the hell happened to this team? Why can't they score anymore? Well, and I think and I agree with Stone, but the one guy that continues to stand out, and I'm sorry, is Petrangelo. Um, but we've said it all year, and, you know, early on the, the storyline was, well, He's not comfortable yet. You know, he's coming from St. Louis where they won a cup, and this is a new atmosphere. Okay, you kind of give him a month. You know, you, I understand that. You're a new system. You're new guy. I get that. That long ago, to me, went out the window. He has not in any way lived up to the deal they gave him. And when you look at this deal, full no trade, his, his AAV is going to be, what, a, over 8? 8. 8.8. 8.8. He's going to be, I'm at, he'll be mid-30s for sure. When it's over, I mean, is he the type of player that just gets better? I don't think so. 
And, well, he's got to be a lot better. I mean, I, I, he hasn't been good, but you know, you start looking at what are they have. They have some good contracts on the books where you know you can see down the road, it's like yeah, it's a good contract. Then you know, some of these no trades will kick in for Carlson and others, and you could see the average. This is one of those contracts you're like, man, even to this point right now, you can say, I don't know, that that's not a good deal because he's got to get a lot better to come close to justifying what they gave him, and he has not been good this year. I'm sorry. Everyone says, you know, oh, it's great. that's all good. He's a great guy and everything, but Alex Petrangelo has not in any way lived up to what they thought he'd be. He'll be 38 when the contract ends. Well, here's, here's the Alex Petrangelo contract. The Golden Knights are trying to win the Stanley Cup right now. Right, and they thought Alex Petrangelo was going to help, help them win push the over the top Cup right now. So they yeah. signed him, who's been one of the best defensemen in hockey for a long time. They signed him to an eight-year deal. That contract, you can basically look at it in two four-year stints. The first four years of that contract, the Golden Knights are trying to win the Stanley Cup, and Petrangelo will be 31, 32, 33, 34. Right? He should be helping you win the Stanley Cup. The second four years of that, though, when he's 35-plus, the Golden Knights might be out of their title window by then, and he probably won't be playing at a level where he's worth $8.8 no. $8 million. But that was the trade-off. You get four legitimate shots at a Stanley Cup with Alex Petrangelo, and then the back half of that contract is probably going to look bad. It looks bad now. That's what I'm saying. It looks it bad, it right looks bad now. now. He's not playing well. No. And I talked about it last playoff series, or before the playoffs started. I mean, it's the worst acquisition in Golden Knights history because of what to they this had point, to absolutely. to get him. Yeah. They had to move on from Nate Schmidt. Nate Schmidt. They had to move on Ma- from Paul, Paul Stasny. Stasny. And then they played like eight or nine regular season games without a full lineup right. this year because they were up against the cap because they acquired him for $8.8 right. million. Like, you can take everything back to his contract. That might be the reason they didn't get the one seed in the West this year. That might be the reason that Nate Schmidt and Paul Stasny aren't here. And now you're not getting any return for it. Like, if he was producing, you'd be like, all right, it was all worth it. But he's not. All right, coming up next... Do we have a billionaire ready to buy an NBA team for Vegas? Backs up against Mann as they spread the floor. Shot clock at six. Right corner, Porzingis for three. Good! He knocked it down! And a timeout by Ty Lue! We're back to the press box with Graney and Bischoff. Ed, do you know who Jay Bloom is? Um, I only know because in the rundown it seems that he's rich. <laughs> So Yahoo had a story yesterday, and apparently Jay Bloom has a lot of money, and he is leading an ownership group that has completed circling the funds, whatever that means, to purchase an expansion franchise for Las Vegas. NBA. Uh, NBA, yes. Uh, Jay Bloom's quote While it most certainly is too preliminary to comment on our group's efforts, Bill Foley's extraordinary success with the Golden Knights, together with Mark Davis's Las Vegas Raiders' incredibly warm reception by the community and his exceptional world-class facilities, and further, the addition of the WNBA's Las Vegas Aces, clearly demonstrate that Las Vegas is already a major player in the world of professional sports. Be it ultimately our group or someone else, Las Vegas is clearly the most deserving city in the nation for an NBA expansion franchise. Mm. So, Jay Bloom, according to the story in Yahoo, he's partnered with Tony Robbins who is a motivational speaker. Motivational speaker, sure. And Marcus Banks, who played, know him, played at UNLV. Um, Jay Bloom has founded multiple companies in his career. He apparently started with uh, helicopter tours somewhere in New Jersey. 
Uh, he has founded quite a few things here in Vegas. Hold on. Hold you guys on. both look very confused. Hold on, hold on. You, what are you, they you, touring? First of all, you completely buried the lead on Jay Blue. <laughs> because if this guy's giving helicopter tours of New Jersey, is this like the Sopranos uh, uh, going through and seeing That's where, where he started. Are? I don't know if he's still there. <laughs> But Look, have you been to New Jersey? Like, what well, is he giving they, a tour of? The sanitation I, park? I assume you get up in the air and fly to New York. I was, oh, I was okay. going to say, there's Jersey. Wait a few minutes, and we're going to show you Manhattan. I assume <laughs> that's what happens yeah. there. But we're, I don't know. We're stationed in Jersey for tax purposes. Yes. His, his story was he owned a helicopter, and he was like, <laughs> I can make money by taking people up in it, so he bought more helicopters. All right. I All don't right. know. But he's also found a lot of companies here. Uh, one of which is a company called First 100, which apparently buys de- uh, delinquent liens on like HOAs in houses, and they can somehow end up with a house for like a few thousand dollars and own it, uh, which sounds a little shady, but I guess it's legal. And he also owns something called the Mob Experience and had to file bankruptcy seven months after he opened it. Okay. We've got Jersey Mob. We've got Free Homes. <laughs> and we've got the mob experience that has gone bankrupt. So, is there a pattern I'm sensing here with Jay Bloom? I don't. Well, I don't think the helicopter one had to go bankrupt. I think that one's fine, and I think the one where they buy cheap houses on delinquent loans is fine too. But I have no idea who Jay Bloom is, other than what I read on the internet yesterday. But according to this story, and based on his quote, he has a group. He is the front man of a group, and. They have money to buy an NBA expansion team, and they want to put it in Vegas. The fee to buy an NBA expansion team, it hasn't been set or anything because the NBA hasn't actually said they're expanding, but uh, Brian Windhorst reported that $2.5 billion was the number. Adam Silver actually gave a quote in response to that saying that that is on the low end. So $2.5 billion? Yeah, is on the, it's low, on the end. low end? Yeah. So Adam Silver and the NBA might be looking for $3 billion Wow. If they do, in Get fact, over your pandemic expand. selves, $3 billion. <laughs> wow. So this has been one of the like main questions about if the NBA is coming to Vegas, who is going to own the team, right? MGM seemingly has always been involved, or at least they always want us to think they're involved. Bill Foley's kind of always been there as a potential simply because he now owns three sports teams in Vegas and he owns a piece of T-Mobile Arena, which is where an NBA team could conceivably play. But it doesn't sound like either one of those two are a part of this group with Jay Bloom. So this would give Vegas an ownership group, assuming they have the $2.5 billion, and that checks one of the boxes for the NBA to come to Vegas. The pregame speeches would be great by Tony Robbins. The problem is he take too long like Tony. The game's starting. <laughs> get a, get the game's starting. It's, this isn't your regular motivational speech here. You've been talking for 50 minutes. Doesn't uh, he have some Me Too allegations against him right now? Jay Bloom? No, Tony Robbins. Oh. <laughs> I don't know anything about Tony <laughs> Robbins either. Motivational speaker. That's all I knew. I mean, I, I, he's just, been on TV. Um, of this group, Marcus Banks. No, Marcus Banks. I, I, and he might one. have the less money I of all three. Say, yeah, um, <laughs> well... When these things happen, the first thing I think you and I both say right away is they're public money. It doesn't seem to be public money. This it seems like this guy has enough money to do it. So, hey, good for him on that sense. I, I'm i not going to say Las Vegas isn't the most deserving. I'm just going to say, and it's probably going to be re- relocation. I don't know if you've talked about it or we're going to talk about it, the A-Rad deal. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I still think Seattle's getting the first team. Probably more than probably more uh, relocation than expansion. I didn't know it was near $3 billion. That's a, That does surprise me. That That's a huge, huge number. Um 
But if there's no public money here, and they can get past the fact that Jay Bloom appears to have connections somewhere, um, because the owners are going to have to sign off in any ownership group, and they can go right into T-Mobile Arena and play, uh, good for Jay Bloom. I mean, I'd, I, I'd love an NBA team here, and I do think more so than an MLB team, I think it would be supported more. The interesting part on, the, on T-Mobile Arena is we have seen, and there's an ownership group in Seattle that wants to get an expansion team in the Sonics, and the guy that leads that group has even come out and said that the NBA, they want whoever owns their teams to also own the arena that they play in. Like, that's their preferred well, setup. Jay Bloom's not going to own the arena. Right, because you you control the revenue streams mm-hmm. of it. Like, if, if Jay Bloom owns a team, they go into T-Mobile Arena, that's owned three ways by MGM, right. AEG, and Bill Foley. And Bill Foley. Has, like, 12% or something right. like that. So they like they control the revenue streams of anything that's not related to the NBA game that's in that arena. And that's not the preferred setup for the NBA when talking about new teams. So that's the curious part in terms of MGM's and Bill Foley's ownership stake here is they do own at least a big chunk of that arena. So that's why they would make some sense. Now, the other part of this is, A, if Jay Bloom has enough money, he can build his own arena. If, the, if that's what the NBA really wants. But we also have that all-net arena that Jackie Robinson's building that maybe is going to get completed. Now, granted, Jackie Robinson would be the owner of that. And Does not, Jackie Robinson have $3 billion? Maybe he's got enough to get in with Jay Bloom. Maybe it's not $3 billion. <laughs> Maybe he can get in like 2%. But, uh, yeah, so it's that's the interesting part is the arena and ownership, I think, are, are pretty well tied together. So is T-Mobile the best option? Probably, but I don't know that it's a slam dunk that an NBA so, team would play there. So the NBA, in that sense, much is, is much like the NFL where, yeah, you can have an NFL team, but we're getting public money for this stadium. Yeah, if they had to That's, build a new one? Yeah, if they, yeah, yeah. If they'd build a new one. Yeah. I mean, it, any sports team right now that needs a new stadium, arena, or ballpark, or that's relocating or expanding or whatever, yeah, they're coming somewhere to ask for public money sure. because why wouldn't you? Like I mean, oh, you always ask. Plenty of cities have shown they're willing I mean, to give money. If willing. you ask hard enough, you might get seven hundred fifty right. million in tax to build yeah. an NFL stadium. I mean, I don't know. Somewhere's going to do. Somewhere's going to do. You that. Get a special committee created <laughs> yeah, just exactly. to discuss if they want to exactly. give you seven hundred fifty million dollars. Sometimes in those committees, you can get famous soccer players to come in and talk <laughs> about it. That's that. That's even better. So it's my get my best guess for NBA expansion is that if it's going to happen. It's going to happen this summer that they're going to announce like, hey, we are expanding. We're taking bids or whatever that process is because no NBA owner actually wants to expand because when you expand, you're breaking up the the revenue sharing. You're adding more people that get a piece of that. You're taking away from the amount of money you make out of the league as an owner when you add more owners. But the logic behind expanding now is their revenues are down significantly because of the pandemic. And a quick way to make that money back is to expand and say, hey, two teams, six billion dollars, give us three billion dollars to put a team in Vegas, and Seattle. And yeah, yeah, now all of a sudden, oh, what pandemic? Yeah, we're fine. So to me, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen this summer. Once this right, once this playoffs is over, they'll turn their attention to, okay. We are looking to expand and whatever that process ends up looking like. I don't know how quickly it would happen, but that to me is when it would happen. Is this summer, hey, we're opening the process to start expanding because, hey, let's make some money back. All right. Go ahead. What do you? What? No, I was just saying, okay. will the press box get the first interview with owner Jay Blue? 
I don't know. You made fun of his New Jersey helicopters, so I think we're out. What on if that we one. got? What if we got helicopter rides out of it? Oh, I'm okay with that. That'd be all right. Yeah. That'd be all right. Maybe. Did you think he owned the helicopter that Otzelberger flew in on? <laughs> I'd like to think he did. There was also the guy who flew the helicopter over Lights FC's field and dropped the cash. He had a problem with like the FAA because. Because he wasn't supposed to be that low? (laughs) Coming up next, Austin Gale from Pro Football Focus. Our stats hogwash. Are you tired of hearing Tyler do math on the radio? Tweet at Bischoff underscore Tyler and at Ed Graney. I've got nothing to update Rob uh, on that situation, and you guys all know how we feel about it. Do you expect him to be here? It is mandatory. Yeah, I I don't know. We'll see uh, come Tuesday. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. I do enjoy the reporter reminding the coach that, hey, this is mandatory. You think he'll be there. Joining us now from Pro Football Focus is Austin Gale. Austin, how are you this morning? Hey, Austin. Doing fantastic. How about yourself? Good. Uh, so this offseason, we've had... Uh, Russell Wilson's name, Deshaun Watson's name, Aaron Rodgers, Julio Jones, like high-profile names in the NFL, and and hey, they might get traded. Does anybody actually get traded this offseason of significance? I, I would say that uh, Julio Jones is probably the favorite to get traded. I think some of the comments that he made maybe accidentally on the Shannon Sharp you know, extravaganza that was, I, think, I do think he's on his way out of Atlanta, large part because he's in the, you know, that team is in the worst situation from a cap perspective. You know, Houston Texans, Seattle Seahawks and the Green Bay Packers aren't worried about their three-star players from a cap perspective. They're just disgruntled for whatever reasons they may be. But I think with Julio Jones, it's like legitimately a problem. The cap in Atlanta is a problem. It's why they restructured Matt Ryan's contract. It's why they're unable to sign some of their rookies if they don't make some moves. I do think Julio Jones is on his way out of Atlanta. I think the favorite spots right now, Tennessee, Seattle, and New England, all three of those spots make the most sense to me. I think all three of those teams could make a play. Uh, then let's go to the Raiders, who uh, you didn't mention, but uh, there are reports out there that maybe they've been on it. I want to ask you this, because I think it was ESPN that reported last week that any trade for Julio Jones, Henry Ruggs is, quote, untouchable. We found that interesting. We tried to figure out ways why. Would it be that they don't want to admit they made a mistake? Would it be that they do think he has potential and long-term potential? Is it, do you get any kind of sense of why they would believe in that kind of deal for a 32-year-old Julio Jones who might have some injury problems? Why Henry Ruggs would ever be untouchable in that deal? I mean, I think I don't think it's so much that they don't want to admit they made a mistake. I think it's more that they believe in him, you know, entering year two. I think it's very difficult to look at any rookie season this past year and, and, and have judgment because of, you know, obviously the COVID impacted offseason, the Zoom calls that replaced practices, all those things. Talking to multiple coaches in college football and the NFL, they said the biggest impact COVID had was on the young players, specifically rookies, not being able to get a feel with the teammates and those types of things before the season started. So I do think that they believe Henry Ruggs takes a year two jump. It's also would be just an absurd investment. Like, he's a top-ten pick, and you're going to trade him for Julio Jones, probably and some change. It's going to be Henry Ruggs and maybe a second or a third. Like, that's just ridiculous. That's too much value to send to Atlanta for Julio Jones. I think the the top end of the market is probably a second-round pick. I know Atlanta has told some reporters in the in the offices that they've received a first-round pick. I highly doubt that. I do think that the trade offers are topping out at a second-round pick, while most teams not even willing to pay a third. I think the biggest reason for that is, is this bloated contract. So if Atlanta agrees to pay... 50% of it, 25% of it, you know, 75% of it. That's going to change how much they can get in return for those draft picks. 
Uh, you mentioned uh, Tennessee, Seattle, and New England. Um, if Seattle were to trade for him, and then they have DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett and Julio Jones, like offensively, that that's a Super Bowl winning offense, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, they would instantly be you know Super Bowl competitive with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think the NFC right now, as it stands, especially with Aaron Rodgers not showing up to reminding you know mandatory minicamp upcoming here, I don't think I don't think the NFC is going to be all that hard for Tampa Bay. I think they roll for good reason. However, if Seattle can make a play for Julio Jones and that offensive line does progress forward, uh, you know, with Damian Lewis entering year two and some other players there, I do think that Seattle could compete with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the NFC and potentially beat them down in the NFC Championship to make a Super Bowl. However, I, you have to make that trade. And I do think that Seattle would be my favorite landing spot in terms of ch- taking a team that's already you know, playoff competitive and making them Super Bowl competitive. I think Tennessee is also in that boat, and I also like New England as well, especially because I've already called them the most improved team of any, off- of any team this offseason. Adding Julio Jones is just you know cherry on the Sunday. Yeah, uh, then let's stay with the. I want to stay with the Patriots because Josh McDaniels came out and said he expects a huge jump from Cam Newton, uh, and yet we know who the rookie is there in Mac Jones. So, take us through that. Do you expect a huge jump, and are you surprised given that you know how it appears how much they like their rookie? I, I absolutely do expect a huge jump, and I think the biggest one will be health. I mean, we forget that he had COVID nineteen last year and had to come back from that. If he can stay healthy, if Cam Newton can play, even. 16, you know, even 14, 15 games, maybe misses a couple with injuries, whatever it may be. That is a significant change for the New England Patriots because I do think that the Mac Jones selection, while they're not probably not going to start him out of the gate, raises the floor of this offense. When Cam Newton got hurt last year, they put something in there called a Jared Stidham, and it did not work out well. <laughs> now, if Cam Newton does get hurt or you know, isn't able to play in four or six games, you bring in a Mac Jones that's super competent, super smart. Everyone raves about his intelligence. You bring him in, raise the floor of your offense, do what Belichick has done in the past with guys like Jacoby Brissett, Matt Castle. Like He's one in a pinch with good backup quarterbacks. I think that's what Mac Jones can be in year one. I'm not saying he's a backup quarterback, but in year one, he can be a very good backup quarterback. And if Cam Newton, however, stays healthy, plays a full 17-game season with the addition of John Smith, Hunter Henry, what I would call a top-three, top-five offensive line in the NFL, this is a team that I think can be legit competitive in the AFC. Austin, you tweeted out, um, unless they've been behind the decisions at quarterback, Mac Nagy and Vic Fangio should not be on the hot seat in 2021. Um, who should be on the hot seat in 2021? Yeah, that's interesting. I think Mike Zimmer, honestly, I think Zimmer is a bigger question mark for me. I mean, this is a team that I think should be better on defense. Like Mike Zimmer is a defensive-minded coach who has had his hand on the puppet strings for every defensive player they've brought in over the past few years, and it still hasn't panned out. Daniel Hunter unhappy with that situation. Jeff Gladney now obviously on his way out of the league with those accusations. Trey Waynes did not develop as expected. Like, where are we defensively as the Minnesota Vikings team? I think we've only seen one year of legit top 10, top 5 brilliance from his defense, and other years it just has not panned out. While, on the other hand, though, Mike Hughes is another example. Like they draft Mike Hughes earlier than everyone expected, and now he's already off the team. So I do think Mike Zimmer is a name that I bring up. Kirk Cousins has honestly lifted the floor of this team more so than Mike Zimmer has, and I think obviously that's a concern. <laughs> uh, I want to ask you real quick about um, the Houston situation. Deshaun Watson, we know about the off-field issues. He has not shown up to any OTAs, and Tyrod Taylor is sitting there saying, I could be the starter here. He gave me $12 million. What do you expect to happen here? I mean, we're talking about Aaron Rodgers. I think he's more tradable because of Deshaun Watson's off-field issues, obviously, but he's not showing up to any of these things. I mean, how big of an issue is going to be this going forward? We know his case probably won't even be heard till 2022, but what do you expect about this? And Tyrod Taylor seems pretty confident. 
Yeah, I do think that the most likely scenario is that Deshaun Watson misses significant time, if not the entire 2021 season, due to NFL suspension, you know, unwillingness to return to the field. Because people forget, I mean, obviously these accusations have taken over the conversation around Deshaun Watson for good reason, absolutely awful accusations. But people forget he was willing to sit out before all of this went down. He was unhappy with his situation in Houston and threatening to hold out. Now you combine that with potential league suspensions, I think the most likely outcome in the range of outcomes is that he does not play a ton this year, if at all. On quarterbacks, you guys had a story at Pro Football Focus about which second-year players are under the most pressure, and Tua was the top of that list for you guys. Uh, where would you rank Tua right now with the last two rookie quarterback classes? Like, is he behind Lawrence and Burrow and Herbert and a lot of the guys that just came in this year? Yeah, that's tough. I, I think if you factor in what we saw from Justin Herbert this past season, you'd have to put Trevor Lawrence, Joe Burrow, and Justin Herbert as the top three quarterbacks from the past three classes. And then I think you start to enter the conversation of, is it Justin Fields or Tua? Is it Zach Wilson or Tua? I, I think you could have a tier, that second tier, after the big three there, a second tier where Tua Tungavailoa comes in. I think the reason he's under pressure is because of the success of Justin Herbert and the perceived success of Joe Burrow, a guy that came in. You know, all everyone's like, oh, he didn't have an offseason, all these things. These are those guys, and they came in a lot harder. And now you see those quotes that he was not comfortable with the playbook and those things. Another reason for pressure is that this roster is ready to be deep playoff competitive. The defense is fantastic. Brian Flores is, has done a ma- masterful job of bringing in players that fit to his defense. Offensively, they added Will Fuller, Mike Nitt, still have Mike Kosicki. I feel really – they add Jalen Waddell. Like, they have done everything they could – this offseason to prop up Tua Tungabailoa. It's time to, you know, uh, now he's healthy. He said he's healthier than he's ever been. This is the time. This year, you need to see it. Ben Roethlisberger says the offense in Pittsburgh will be like anything we've ever seen. Is there any chance it's like <laughs> anything we've ever seen? I, I, it's hard to say. I mean, I, the stat I always bring up with Pittsburgh is that they run the lowest rate of play action in the NFL over the past five years, and it's not close. Big Ben has said he does not like to turn his back to the defense. And play-action passing, as we've seen from the analytics, is one of the biggest cheat codes in the NFL. EPA per pass on play-action dropbacks is almost 20% better than on standard dropbacks. You should run play-action. Especially don't run it at the lowest rate in the league. They've been at the lowest rate in the league over the past five, six years. Like You need to run more play-action. If you're going to be a run-heavy, offensive-line-heavy type of team where you want to pound the football, you got to make defenses pay for that. If you're going to try and be quote-unquote balanced, Let's, let's throw some fakes their way. Let's throw some most commonly used play in the NFL, play action. I do think that teams need to see that. I think Big Ben needs to do that as well. When, when across the league does that adjust to where defenses stop caring about play action and we don't see that big gap between play action passes being more efficient than non-play action passes? Honestly, it's a fantastic question, but I think the, the conversation has been is that you know, the run, you know, establish the run. The run has been established for 100 years. You know, this is the first thing that's coached in, in high school, college football, and the NFL. You're, you're stepping up first. You're playing the run first. All those types of things. You need to stop the run. I think until that philosophy changes, and you're seeing that a little bit at the collegiate level with these amoeba defenses that run six, seven defensive backs, only three down linemen, those types of things. You're seeing that more, but not until more of that happens, not until that takes over college football, takes over the NFL, I think until then you see the NFL zig back and more run-heavy approaches and those things. So as long as guys like John Gruden get hired 10 years out of retirement, we're still going to be doing the same thing with play action. Exactly, exactly. The the league's not going to be changing all that rapidly, but I do think some innovative coaches, I had a conversation with uh, USC head coach Clay Helton yesterday. He said the biggest thing, innovation. If you want a new coach, if you want a fiery offensive coordinator, a guy that's going to come in and make some plays, he's got to be willing to innovate. And that's not just yearly. That's weekly. That's 
at halftime. You need guys that can innovate and identify where you can get better creatively. This is no longer, they're going to know what play we run, and we're going to run it down their mouth. Like, that's not a <laughs> football game anymore. You need to be creative, you need to be innovative, and you need to be doing different things. Well, he is Austin Gale from Pro Football Focus. Austin, as always, we appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Austin. Great stuff. Absolutely. Thank you. I now know why Gruden won't talk anymore. He knows he's going to get the question, are you innovative enough? <laughs> and he thinks <laughs> this, he is. And, and he thinks he is. And he's, he's tired of being asked about being creative in and, and innovative. But I, in, the whole play action thing, like we've been hearing that for a lot the last few years, that play action passing, no matter who the quarterback is, no matter who the team is, no matter if the team can even run the ball that's, well, that's the big one to Even me. if you suck at running, play action passing still produces a higher, you know, yards, yards per attempt, EPA, whatever number you want to look at, it's better to run a play action pass than a non-play action pass. So I'm I'm curious, when does that change happen where defenses decide, all right, fake a pass or fake a run. We're still defending the pass first because it's more effective. It's like in basketball, right? We the, the whole revolution of hey, you don't want to take mid-range jumpers. We're now at a point where defenses are they're trying to force you to take mid-range jumpers because they know what's a good and bad shot. So when does that happen in football where defenses say, hey, we don't care if you fake a handoff. We're defending the pass first because it's more effective. Ben Roethlisberger's been around 17 years. Long time. He said, and the quote is, we've had the same offense for 17 years. <laughs> That's a long time. I mean, I, I, I didn't know he's, I, I guess I, I'm missing here. He's almost 40. I thought he was, I guess I kind of lost track of him in terms of his age. He's like 39. Yeah, he's really old. Yeah. And he looks every bit of it. It was not good last year. Four, he, to four picks in the playoffs, right? Against Cleveland. He threw four. Yeah. Yeah. But he also couldn't catch a snap. Yeah. That was bad. And then he couldn't move. I mean, it's almost amazing if he's if it's true that it has lasted that long. I mean, I know they won a couple of Super Bowls, but I mean, 17 years with the same offense. That's a long time. <laughs> a lot of you also have to remember, especially with Ben Roethlisberger, a lot of the time he would have a wide receiver that if he just threw it sort of in their general area, they would come up. They with would come it. up with it. All right. Coming up next, LeBron James is lost in the first round for the first time, but. We got a good giveaway for you. You will win a Golden Knights hat, a six foot sub from Porta Subs, and you'll be qualified to win a pair of tickets to game four of Golden Knights Avalanche on Sunday. 702 364 1100 is the number. We will take caller number 11 at 702 364 1100. Again, Golden Knights hat, six foot sub from Porta Subs, and you'll be qualified to win tickets to game four. In this series between the Golden Knights and the Collar Avalanche, caller number 11, 702-364-1100. Do you want to schedule a parent-teacher conference after hearing Grainy's grades? Call the Press Box voicemail and let us know. 702-720-4678 and let us know who deserves a higher grade. To really diving into this process, you know, I think that uh, the good news about whoever we hire they don't have to fill Doc Rivers' shoes like I did. Good news is they just have to figure out a way to um, be better than the last guy. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas, 1100 AM and 100.9 FM. For the first time ever, LeBron James. Lost a playoff series in the first round. They got beat by 13 last night to the Suns. They were down approximately 307 points at halftime. Uh, they played well in the second half, but not enough to overcome that deficit. 
You had Anthony Davis play about five minutes, but was like clearly not okay. Um, and the Lakers just had not like they were the Lakers were pathetic in games five and six. Like ultimately, should they have been able to beat the Suns without Anthony Davis? Maybe not, but they were pathetic in the last two games of this series, which is probably the bigger indictment here than just losing the series. Uh, but what do you make of the Lakers? You said you wouldn't believe it until this, it yeah, actually it happened. happened. It happened. Um, I don't believe, look, Anthony Davis at full health or even like 85%, maybe it's not as stark. What was the, the Grant Hill gave a stat that w- since he left, no, I'm, maybe it was Ernie Johnson at halftime, since he left hurt in uh, would have been game four or five um, that they had been outscored by like over 50 something yeah. to that point. It was obviously, you know, near that at the end of the game. I have no idea, and you know, I don't agree with Barkley on everything, but he was cleared to play because they said he couldn't do more damage, which I don't know how that's possible because if it's not a completely torn groin, how can't you do more damage? Boy, first down, first trip down the court, like the, he has he has nothing. I and mean, he played what five is, more minutes. What is he? Yeah, what is he? Why is he on the court? I mean, that was really questionable. Why they let that guy go? Because here's the thing. I would have thought if you cleared him, you would have put him through drills in pregame where you could see if he could move that way, right? I mean, what did they do? Did he just stand there during, you know, layup line and not move? Because I'm like, how did you clear him without seeing? Because you knew right away, couldn't move laterally, got beat off the dribble every time, couldn't move. So it's like no one saw that during warmups. Yeah. Like, what did you look at to say, oh, he's okay, he can go? Who, yeah, what were you looking at? It's bizarre. Like, it's, like in baseball, anytime like, they think a pitcher got hurt or something and the pitcher's like, no, I want to stay in. Well, you throw He balls. throws like two warm-up yeah, pitches. Yeah, exactly. And, and they watch him. Yeah, and it's yeah. like, oh, he's fine or nope. That hurt. He's not. It yeah. is done. Like, yeah, you're right. Like, they like, cleared him. Did, like, they not have him run or something? Or go laterally? Like, because he tried to go laterally. Yeah. It's like, and he kept, gra- I saw him in five minutes, he grabbed at his groin like six times. Like, is yeah. anyone watching that? He's obviously not in good shape and hurting. That was bizarre. Like, he was so limited on the first trip down. Like you said, how did he get through five minutes? Yeah, I have no idea. Uh, it's like, <laughs> and it, I was like, I was telling my sons, like, if that's a, if that's a regular season, and you're just in the regular season, that's like, even Grant Hill said this, that's two weeks. Like, e- even if you don't tear your groin, you just strain it. Yeah. But that's like two weeks. Yeah. This was a few days and you're clearing them? I'm, I know it's the playoffs, but he wasn't, he he shouldn't have been on the court. It's, that was embarrassing. And it's not it's not often we see a player play when he clearly shouldn't. Like, guy, guys will play through, like, being hurt or whatever. They'll play yeah, I mean, through Chris Paul's injury. been playing through his shoulder. Yeah, but, like, it's very rarely that we actually see a guy play and, and everyone is like, that guy shouldn't be on the right. field or shouldn't the court be on the, court. the ice. Like, rarely do we have that. For the most part, it's, oh, well, he can suck it up or whatever. But rarely does everyone watch it and say, ooh, I can even say he shouldn't be playing. Like, I'm smarter than the doctors that cleared him and be right you about knew it. You knew one, one trip down, why is he on the court? Yeah. And we're not doctors. And it's yeah. like, you could just see how he moved. He's grabbing himself. It was just like, why is this guy out there? And then, of course, he goes to the locker room, comes back, and he's got he's wrapped up more than a mummy. I mean, so, did you see that? With the Lakers eliminated, the Clippers could get eliminated tonight. Um, <sighs> the Western Conference second round, the Suns are going to play the Nuggets, and the Jazz are going to play either the Mavericks or or the Clippers. So we're potentially looking at Jazz Mavericks, Suns Nuggets as the Western Conference second round, meaning one of those four teams is in the NBA Finals. TV ratings. That'd be great. <laughs> the NBA right now is like, oh my God, Clippers, can you win two straight? I'm uh, I'm trying to think. I, want, I, I almost think the Mavericks might be the team I want to see the most just because it's like Luka carrying a bunch of bums. Hot yeah. Oh God. Man, I... 
Suns were funless. I think actually, I actually think the Suns Nuggets. Yeah. I'll watch that. Like Jazz, Jazz Mavericks. I enjoy watching the Jazz because they they offensively they shoot a lot of threes. They play some like what I like. But Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert are probably like the least fun yeah, duo. to watch those players. Yeah.